This is my friend, Charlie. And Charlie and I met about five years ago. We went through a book together. Yes, we did. It's a great book. It's called The Church as Movement. And we were just kicking around, what's the church supposed to be? What was it originally? Um, what kind of extended family and community are we meant to be? And so I think we met together for at least three months. At least three months. At least three months. Got to know each other, uh, laughed a lot. There were some tears. And uh, starting a church is not easy. Charlie can tell you. Yeah, more than most. So he is uh, graciously accepted my invitation to come preach on Philippians today. And honestly, when I was praying about who could step in uh, this week, I was thinking about who embodies joy and who do I know that actually lives this out, no matter what circumstances they're going through. And so I just want to pray for him before he gets going and, uh, and just say thank you, bro. Thanks for being with us today. All right. Father, thank you for the gift of friendship, for sacred companions mm -hmm. like Charlie that I've had the privilege of walking with and getting to know on, on a small level. And I know that there's no part of him, um, God, that you don't love. And so I pray that whatever he preaches today would come from that place, that as he has experienced you, that he would share that with us because I know him to be a good guide along this, along this road of faith. And mm -hmm. so, God, would you guide his words, help him to speak the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, that we might be set free today uh, to walk in the power of your spirit, to become like Christ for your glory, God, and for the good of those all around us. And so bless, bless my brother and bless our ears today. Help us to be attentive, not just to what Charlie's saying, to what you want to say today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's really good to be with you this morning. It feels like family in a lot of ways. Uh, Charlie, little Charlie over here, it's a named after me. I, for a long time, I had a lot of dogs named after me, and now it's nice that little girls are now named after me. That's been a change. And then I ran into this guy over here, Houston. Uh, me and him go way back. We played basketball together our first year of college at a college called Southwestern University. And I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. Before Steph Curry, the basketball player that makes a lot of threes, Houston friend was Steph Curry. <laughs> that guy can shoot. I mean, like, we're talking 10, 15 feet behind the three-point line. So it's really, yeah, he's probably really embarrassed now. But, but it's really good to be with you. And yes, uh, in 2019, I think it was, uh, Matt had recently moved out with his family, and they were thinking about planting a church here in the valley, and we found ourselves in this cohort together, and uh, it was really good. A lot has changed since 2019. Uh, this church was planted in parallel with a pandemic, right? Uh, and maybe some of you weren't even around then, but there was a pandemic, and to top that off, there was also a presidential election that same year. It was a great year to plant a church. <laughs> There's other, a bunch of other stuff going on as well, and, and to be really honest, that wasn't just 2020, right? The last five or six years have been chaotic, to say the least. I mean, even this last two weeks, the world feels to begin to unravel. And I just, uh, as I think about us as the church, you and I, as the people, the question I've been wrestling with is, in a sense, what do we do or how do we respond? How do we live in the place and the time God has put us in here? And Philippians is actually a really great book to explore that. And so I'm going to give you kind of just a, a quick overview today of Philippians and bring a few insights out 
not the exhaustive list because there's a lot that you can find in Philippians, but I think it's really relevant for us. And the question Philippians wants you and me to ask is how do we live as faithful citizens of the kingdom? How do we live as faithful citizens of the kingdom? If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to open it to Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Let me, let me tell you or show you where I'm getting this idea of citizens. Uh, if you're reading, I, I often read in the NIV, it, it sadly doesn't capture what's happening here in 127. Uh, so I'm gonna, I want you to turn there. You can read it in whatever translation you have, but I'm going to uh, read 127 from the CSB translation. So I think it brings out the idea that Paul is trying to get here of citizenship. 127, Philippians 127 says in this translation, just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Yours might say, conduct yourselves. That's a word for citizenship. Flip over to Philippians 3, verse 20. Philippians 3, verse 20. It says here, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord. The idea of citizenship is rampant throughout the letter. And when you see the word heaven, don't think of heaven as a faraway place. Think of, as Jesus' prayer was, that on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven was a picture of God's kingdom, of being a citizen of this, this kingdom that God is bringing. Let me give you a little background of Philippians and why Paul maybe is addressing citizenship and how we think about us being kingdom citizens before I give you a couple insights. So the, the city of Philippians was written to the people that were in Philippi. Philippi was a Roman colony. They had been conquered by Rome, like most, most of the world in that period of time. And what happened was it was the site of many great battles. And what Caesar did at the time was he put a bunch of ex-military and retired soldiers in the city. It was strategic. He put those soldiers there because he knew that they'd be loyal and have their allegiance to Caesar. And so he's trying to, in a sense, consolidate power and have everybody, in a sense, be on the same page. And so he puts all these soldiers there that have retired so that the loyalty will be to Caesar and no one else. Interestingly, if you go to Acts chapter 16, you get a little picture of how the church of Philippi was planted. Uh, three random characters. One, Lydia, who was a businesswoman who sold purple fabric. She meets Paul down praying by a river, and she encounters the, the risen and Lord Jesus. Uh, as Paul is walking back from the river, he runs into a demonic slave girl who was being economically exploited by her masters, and he casts the demon out of her, and she is freed. Because she is freed and they've been their econ economic uh, way of life for that particular family was threatened, they throw Paul and his companions in prison. An earthquake comes as they're singing psalms and hymns at midnight. The jail breaks open. The jailer's about to take his own life, and Paul then shares the gospel with him, and he's saved and baptized, and there's a church. The most unlikely of people, a demonic slave girl, Lydia, this businesswoman, and a jailer plant this little church here in Philippi. And as this letter is written, they're trying to wrestle with the identity of, hey, we're living in this city that is asking for us to give our allegiance to Caesar as Lord and to have our entire way of life been around that kind of citizenry. But we are citizens of the kingdom. So what does it look like for us to live in the kingdom way? And that's why Paul is writing this letter. So today I want to give you just three simple insights from the letter. Again, not exhausted exhaustive, but three simple insights. The first one is this, to be a kingdom citizen in our time and place is to cultivate 
your affections. To cultivate your affections. Uh, if you have a Bible still open, would you turn to Philippians chapter 1, verse 3? Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. It says this, I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. This is Paul talking. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Jump over to then to verse 7, Philippians 1, verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending or confirming the gospel, you share in God's grace with me. Verse 8, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. If you read through the letter of Philippians maybe this week, it is dripping with affection. Paul's affection for God as king and savior, but also for brothers and sisters in this place. And we believe this lie in the West where we live, where we are simply thinking creatures, that we're just rational creatures that just think about the world and we don't have feelings and emotions or, or maybe we just bury those really deep. But the vision of even the Old Testament was that we would love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And the heart was the the seat, the, the, uh, the spring of all of your desires and your affections. And so if we're going to live in Jesus' way, and what Paul is trying to encourage this church to do, we need to cultivate our affections. How do you do that? Through habits. Now, I see a Diamondbacks hat right back here. Uh, I remember in 2001 when the Diamondbacks won the World Series. I was 11 years old at the time. And now we're on the precipice of hopefully making another World Series. If you've ever been to a Diamondbacks game, here's kind of how it works, right? You uh, make sure you have the proper attire on. You get in the car. You drive to the game. You're met with music and excitement as people are getting into the stadium. You give them your ticket. You take a seat. As each batter comes to the plate, they have a special song that they've prepared to get you ready for whoever that's coming up to bat. Uh, You uh, get a hot dog. Uh, which Dimex games, really cheap food, by the way. I just wanted, if, you've, if you've been to one, I'm like, man, this is amazing. I was at a Suns game, and it was crazy. I was like, Dimex are, are amazing. Uh, you get a hot dog, you stand for the seventh inning uh, stretch, so hopefully your team wins, and then you leave. That whole process of going to a Dimex game is like a liturgy, like what you do on Sunday, right? You have songs, you have habits, you're taking some food, a hot dog, you might take communion a little bit later. Uh, you have uh, different rituals, habits that are forming your affections for that particular team. And what Paul's saying here and what you see from his life is he developed and cultivated habits in his life that formed his affections for Christ and his church and for his city. And the way he did that is through just really everyday stuff, everyday habits of prayer and scripture, listening to people's stories walking to pray and seeing what God might do. So my question for you is, how are you cultivating habits to, in a sense, see the affection of Christ dwell in you as it dwelled in Paul and towards this church? Uh, Tish Harrison Warren, she's written a great book called Liturgy of the Ordinary. She says, the crucible of our formation is in the monotony of our daily routines. The crucible, as in the way that you are formed, the way that your affections are shaped, is in the monotony, as in the brushing your teeth of our daily routine. That's the first thing. Cultivate your affections. The second thing is this, and a little bit more challenging. Expect conflict. Expect conflict. 
If you read through Philippians, what you'll find, and through a lot of Paul's letters, is there's a lot of conflict taking place. Now, yes, conflict between uh, this church and the culture is their allegiances to different Caesars, but then conflict within. Like he addresses in Philippians chapter 1 that there are some that are preaching Christ out of rivalry or envy against him. Later in Philippians 3 and 4, he addresses those who are adding things onto the gospel. He's confronting and he's entering into conflict all over the place. Expect it. Now, I have a seven, five, and two-year-old. My two-year-old's favorite book in this season is We're Going on a Bear Hunt. If you guys, if you guys know this book, We're Going on a Bear Hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not scared. Uh-oh, grass, long, wavy grass. We can't go over it, can't go under it. Got to go through it. Swishy, 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 swishy. He loves that part. <laughs> he can't talk, so it's just like this. Now, children's books have this way to give you the most profound and prophetic of insights, which is this. When you face challenge, when you face conflict, the only way to get to it is not around or over, but through it. So here's my encouragement for you. I'm not, uh, uh, I'm not uh, unaware of, even in our own city, the amount of conflict the church from within has faced over the last five years. Unresolved conflict. Conflict in itself is not a bad thing. Unresolved conflict that has crippled relationships, has seen churches split into two. That I think what Paul would try to say to us is not only to expect conflict, but to walk towards it and through it. Because unreconciled conflict, if you have conflict even in this congregation right now with one another or somebody you're sitting next to, unresolved conflict is like a cancer or it's a corrosive It's corrosive. It will, in a sense, take away all the beauty and joy that you experience. But the only way to actually do something with it is to actually go through it and towards it. So my question for you as you think about this fall and even the letter of Philippians for us is not only to expect conflict, but is there unresolved conflict that Jesus graciously is inviting you to enter into, even in this congregation, even with one another, so that it might be repair, and beauty that's displayed. Now, you can do a really good job of cultivating your affections. You can have all the right habits. You can do all the right things. You can be really good at conflict uh, resolution. I know some people that are magnificent at it. And you enter into conflict and you see repair. And you can do all those things and still it doesn't turn out as you thought it would. It doesn't turn out as you thought it would. You might experience disruption, maybe you had this week, dashed dreams, and despair, as Matt mentioned earlier. So when me and Matt met in 2019, he was getting ready to plant a church, and I was becoming the primary pastor of this little community much like yours in a different part of our city. And there was a bunch of dreams that were there, energy that was put into it. I was excited about what God might have to do in and through this little congregation I had been entrusted to steward. And a year later, 2020, the pandemic happens, but little did I know that would be the least of our concerns as a church. And for the next couple of years, we had so much internal crisis. I found myself in conversation after conversation of conflict, often not experiencing the repair that you so desperately want. I shed more tears one year than I did in the 10 years previously. 
entering into my own brokenness and pain and other people's brokenness and pain and impossible situations where it felt like nobody comes out winning. Everybody loses. And there's not a happy ending to that story, at least not in the way. It, uh, this past spring and on Easter Sunday was the last Sunday we gathered as a church before the church that I led and through a lot of discernment and prayer joined in and merged with our sister church that's in Mesa. It also made me and had me question, like, what am I going to do next? There's a vocational call, and I'm in a season of trying to figure that out. There was a lot of disruption, a lot of dashed dreams, and a lot of despair. How about you? Have you experienced that? Even if you felt like you were doing all the right things? Paul has a simple word to you, and actually was in our confession and assurance. Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Uh, look, if you have the Bible still open, Philippians chapter 1. This is where I want to land and lead us then to the table. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. It says this, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He who began a good work in you. In this room, there is story after story of the good work God has began in you. But then you experience disruption, despair, and dashed dreams. You experience, in a sense, circumstances that didn't make a lot of sense. But here is our hope that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. That there's no circumstance of your life that can disrupt the good work. God will carry it on to completion. How do we know that? This leads us to the table every week. How do we know that this is true? The cross. You want to talk about a picture of dashed dreams, disruption, and despair? The cross, the the, the pinnacle of those things. Uh, if, you have a, if you have your Bibles open, go over to Philippians chapter 2. Look at, look at verse 6. Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Verse 7. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This downward spiral, this disruption, despair, and dashed dreams. Verse 9, but therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm going to invite uh, the worship team to come to the front. Each week when we take communion, we declare that your disruption, dash dreams, and despair, that all those things cannot outdo the good work that God has began from the very beginning of creation to see his creation, including you and me, restored and redeemed. That even the cross, this pinnacle that would seem like humiliation and defeat, now becomes a symbol of hope. 
of hope in the hardest and harshest of circumstances of your life, the cross we can look to and say, right there, nothing can thwart God's desire to complete the good work he started, not only in your life, but in the entire creation. So this morning, as you're going to come to the table and you're going to feast with the king, it's a a meal to feast and receive from him, you're going to have the bread that represents his body and the juice that represents his blood. He's going to ask you to take it and drink and take it and eat, that you'd be nourished from this meal and that this meal would be a picture of that God can take the most challenging ingredients of your life and make the most delicious meals. So I would ask you and invite you, would you stand? In my, uh, in my tradition, which is actually uh, very similar to yours and uh, how your services unfold, we do something before we come to the table. And in a moment, I'm going to invite you as a follower of Christ to receive from him at the table. They're in the back corners here, and you can take those elements on your own. But in the tradition that I'm in, we recite something every week to remind us regardless of our circumstances, which story we're a part of. And it's this, Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Let me say it one more time. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Let's say it together, and then I'm going to invite you to walk to the table and receive from King Jesus. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Go and feast. Thanks for listening to the Life and Rhythm podcast. If you'd like to know more about Rhythm Community Church, you can go online at rhythm.community. Peace.